0: good morning everyone we can go ahead and get started with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the lesson let's pray together father i thank you so much for this day i thank you for your grace in our lives i thank you for the uh, the care that you have for us and your love and that uh, you desire us to live a life that's honoring you and you care about our well-being so i Pray that as we kind of see that today, um, as far as rest goes, that you would help us to understand better uh, who you are and and our need for rest. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to continue our study in rest and we're going to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So that's exciting. Uh, And just I wanted to give a a big picture um, overview that considers all the stuff that we've gone over so far, plus what we're going to get to in the New Testament. And over the past few weeks, I've a few times I've shown my working definition of rest. And so this is an expanded version of that. Um, You can kind of think of it as now more of an outline than just a a definition. And it considers all of the data uh, in scripture. And, And if you remember back when we started and the title of this whole series, is how then shall we rest so really the idea is, is after we get a full view of what the Bible says on rest we're going to apply it to ourselves and say what should we do how should we rest because we're not Israel so you don't have the command to rest a certain amount of time on a certain day of the week in fact we have Colossians 2:16 that says no one is to act as your judge in regard to a sabbath day so then the question remains how then shall we rest if we don't rest, if we're not commanded to rest like the Israelites rest, how should we rest? And so that's that was really my first question, and it always related to work in my mind when I was thinking about it and before I even got into the study. But, and I hope you've seen this too, our definition of what rest is has expanded. And so we've seen that God doesn't just give rest from work, but he also gives rest from suffering. And so I'm going to put forth today that those are the two main categories of rest that we see in Scripture. So we've been talking about rest from enemies a lot, especially for Israel. Well that goes under rest for suffering. That's one of the ways that God gives rest from suffering is giving rest from your enemies. And so um, let's go over that definition of rest. So rest is a provision of God to refresh us from our weariness. God provides rest in two main categories. As I mentioned, rest from work and rest from suffering. So rest from work, what have we seen in scripture? We've seen that man gets weary from his work. We saw that uh, in the fall, that God made work really hard. We see it when Lamech had Noah, he wanted a son to help him work because he was so weary from it. And then we have the command that God gives uh, Israel to have to take one day the last day of the week to rest from their work and this would have been resting from their farming from their tending their sheep the things that they had to do to survive God wanted them to rest from that for one day and then we have principles for the church and so this is really two things principalizing all of the things that we see in the Old Testament Um, and and one of these would be that rest is good and we should we should do it right that would be one principle that we get but then we'll get into this a little bit more in the New Testament Um, and as we kind of talked about a a little at the end of last week the answer to this is that it takes wisdom because we don't have a command God doesn't prescribe a certain day for a certain amount of time for us to rest from our work he just doesn't and so it takes wisdom, but there are lots of principles that we can apply. We've already talked about these, about um, you need to make sure you work enough. Um, and then after that, you can take your rest. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, more about that today if we, if we get there. <clears throat> so the other category is restroom suffering. And so this is suffering that can be due, um, really it's a post-fall problem, right? It, it's due to the sin that's in the world. Whether that sin is just because the world is cursed, because things are hard, because, uh, or s- people that have sinned against you, so that gives you trouble, or it can be from your own sin, your, the, the sin in, in your flesh that still causes you to be tempted and sin, and you have consequences for those sin and so forth. So you can have rest from suffering um, from enemies. So we saw this with the nation of Israel, of course. We saw it in the Psalms with David. He was constantly praying to God to deliver him from from his enemies. Um, we saw that also. We'll see it today in Paul's life, him uh, asking or him getting rest from God from his adversaries, um, and then believers in persecution as well. In fact, if you think about First Timothy two, one through two, it tells believers to actually pray for this. I'm going to call it rest, but peace and quiet from your governing authorities. It says, first of all, then I urge you, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So the idea here is that so that we can rest from that turmoil that we would get otherwise if we were under persecution. So this rest from suffering can also be from physical suffering. So we saw that in Job. The author of psalm 165 his suffering could have definitely been physical he doesn't really say what it is and then also from spiritual suffering so the the crux of this is being at enmity with god right that's what your sin does it separates you from god he's our enemy we're, we're his enemy and so we can actually have peace with him we can have rest for our soul we saw that in jeremiah 6:16. 6, he said if you would just obey the things that I told your forefathers, you'd have rest for your soul. And then we'll see today that Jesus invites all who are weary to come to him and he will give them rest for their souls. Same same idea. He will reconcile. Through Christ, we can be reconciled with God. What was war, what was suffering and turmoil between us and God will become peace and rest. So there's another thing that you probably notice as we've gone through these things, and that is that... Um, Rest, kind of our final rest, is different depending on if you're a believer or an unbeliever. And so that's a distinction that needs to be made when we talk about this, um, this big picture view of rest. So rest after death, for both of these categories looks different depending on if you're a believer or unbeliever. For one it is rest, for the other it is torment and suffering. Um, there is no rest. An unbeliever goes from the weariness of life, so dealing with sin, dealing with other people sinning against them, dealing with the curse, day after day after day. We all know that life is is wearisome. But they don't in death. They don't really escape the suffering; they it continues. Um, they suffer God's wrath forever. However, a believer enters a Sabbath rest. We'll see that in Hebrews 4, probably next week. And this this. The Sabbath rest has to relate to work the way the author lays it out, so I think one of the main ideas is that we're no longer working for provision that's taken care of. The work that we do is easy again, like pre-fall work, any work that we're doing in heaven on earth. So listen to this uh, description of heaven on earth in Revelation 21.3 and just what that will be like, what heaven on earth will be like and, and the state of suffering there. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, the first things have passed away. So no suffering, right? That's what the believer has to look forward to, rest from suffering and death. But for the unbeliever, death looks a lot different. It does not mean rest. It means separation from God. We saw that in Isaiah uh, last week or two weeks ago. And continued suffering due to the wrath of God. So listen to this description of those who worship the beast. What happens to them? So Revelation 14.9 says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So very different ends, depending on if you're a believer or an unbeliever. One goes to rest, the believer And the unbeliever never rests, day and night, has no rest. So this is a big picture uh, overview of rest that I want to present to you. And um, before we get into really today's lesson, and actually finishing up last week's lesson, then getting into today's, today's lesson, are there any questions about any of this or comments? Okay, oh, Patrick.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, so I'm going to kick the can down the road a little bit and say that in a few weeks we're going to cover all that. We're going to get into the weeds and and really talk about the wisdom behind it. How do you decide how you do that for your own life, right? Depending on how much you work, your responsibilities, and all those things. Um, But just as a principle, so Colossians 2.16, what it says is um, let no one judge you on what you do on the Sabbath. So it's not saying don't do it. It's not saying do it. It's saying if you feel like you need it, then it's okay to do it, but don't be legalistic about it and don't tell everyone else that they have to do it and they're breaking God's law because they're not. So that's really the idea there. Um, but going back to the, those principles that I mentioned, like rest is good, we need it, right? So those are two things that tell us that we should it, we should take it seriously. And I think that there's two, like, we, we can fall on either side of this where we take too much rest, so we're, like, the sluggard and lazy, or we don't rest enough, or we're a workaholic, um, or we just always want to be busy. Like, I, I would fall into that category, where I, I have to trust God and force myself to rest, that kind of thing. So, like, you, you can fall into onto either side. Maybe you're kind of good and in the middle, I don't know. Uh, but there's a range of how we rest in this room, I'm sure. And so we'll... We'll we'll get more into those weeds in a few weeks. Um, Yeah, that's that's a great question. And that's that was similar to my original question coming to this study. Um, So I want the answer to (laughs) you and we'll get there. Okay, Um, so today we're going to finish up what we didn't finish last week, which was going through um, finishing up the Old Testament and looking at rest there. And then after we do that, we'll get into the New Testament. So we ended on the third point, which was uh, rest in the Lord. And really, this, this isn't so much a category of rest, but rather um, how, how we should rest or who we should find our rest in. Okay, So it, it's a point that I want to make about rest. And so the first way that we see that we should rest in the Lord is that we just see the example of people crying out to God for rest. We saw that a bunch um, when we looked through the Psalms. So David, for example, cried out to God for rest from his enemies. And you see that in Psalm 3:4. It says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. Psalm 22 2, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And it just continues through the Psalms. David looks to God for rest. He looks to his Lord for rest. We see it also in Psalm 116 says, then I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. So he was suffering. He thought he might die. He wanted God's help. He needed God's help. And they all knew this. You know, David, even after he prayed and and God didn't answer him for a time, he went on to say, I still trust the Lord. I saw how he gave deliverance to the, the forefathers. I know that I can trust him. So they all knew who it was who gave rest. Only the sovereign Lord can do this because he's the only one who's in control of all things. We aren't, our employer isn't, the government isn't, just God. So I want to ask you, do you ever find yourself trusting in someone or something else for rest, for relief from work or suffering? Um, do you look for that from a place other than God? And then what are some of those things? Or, you know, what are our tendencies? What do we look for? Who or what do we look for for rest other than God? Say that again. Bank account. Yeah, full bank account. Yeah. Yeah. So we we take comfort, take rest. If we have a a whole bunch of money set aside, knowing that if anything happens, well, we can we've taken care of ourselves basically. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. what else yeah yeah so just assuming that y- your plans of taking time off at of work will, will do it all right I'll fulfill your fulfill you totally yeah kaylee Yeah, definitely. And we, we really see that in our day where you have these longevity diets, right? Let's try to extend our life as far out as we can by eating, eating what we should. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So recreational activities. <coughs> so I will say that a lot of these things that you all are bringing up are rest. But we can definitely just put our trust in those things and not in God. Um, But, yeah, it's good to keep that in mind. Anything else that you can think of? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good one. So it's about to get better, right? I I can see this change, and I'm trusting that everything will be great after that. I'll get rest from whatever suffering I've got right now. Yeah, yep. I, that was the first one I had written down here is entertainment. Um, yeah, it's so, it's so in our face. It's everywhere. Um, everyone's calling for your attention and they want it. And it's easy to get sucked in because it's built for that, right? It's built to grab your attention and to keep it. Um, so it's easy just to, to sit and take it all in for hours and hours and hours and uh, and in some sense we get some we can get some rest from that because we stop thinking about the turmoil we stop thinking about the suffering that we might have. Bridget Well there's a quote from a Netflix executive about how the loneliness is there's obligations that we have. Yeah. Well people the Netflix people Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it was, someone asked them, are you worried about your competitor like Amazon? And he said, no, I'm worried about how much people want to sleep. That's our main competitor. <laughs> um, yeah, so these are all great. Uh, another thing I thought of is uh, drunkenness or any other thing that just kind of numbs you so that you don't, you, you really don't care what's going on. Um, so there's something else that um, people do to, to get rest from their suffering instead of going to God for it. And like a lot of you mentioned you know these things that are good fishing vacation um, and can be restful if we do that and we never ask God to actually give us rest that's not a good place to be you need to understand that God's the one that gives us rest okay so the the second way that we rest in the Lord is by directing your heart right and so this is in Job 11 um, and it's one of Job's friends and you know Job is suffering greatly and his friends come and they all have answers for him and none of them really get it they they kind of miss the point but this friend's advice is good advice it's just that it didn't really apply to job so what he said in job 11:13 is talking to job if you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him if iniquity is in your hand put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect and you would be steadfast and not fear for you would forget your trouble As waters that have passed by, you would remember it. Your life would be brighter than noonday. Darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust, because there is hope, and you'd look around and rest securely. You would lie down, and none would disturb you, and many would entreat your favor. So the idea here is that he's telling Job, hey, you've got this sin in your life, you need to take care of it, and if you do that, then everything will be fine, and you'll be able to rest from this suffering. In general, it's good It's good to do that. It's good to examine your life and make sure there's not sin in your life, and if there is, to root it out. But in Job's case, it's just, this just wasn't happening. So, it, it, But it's good advice in general. Um, so directing your heart right. This looks like knowing and trusting what God has said to do. So first knowing it, so you need to know his word, and then trusting that it's good for you to do. It's good for you. And so direct your heart right in that way. Uh, put off sin don't let the sin linger so the third way that we rest in the lord is by not hardening your hearts by not hardening your hearts and this is in psalm 95 and we'll look at this some more when we get into hebrews 4 but i'll just read the whole psalm so if you have your bibles open you can turn to psalm 95 Psalm 95, starting in verse 1, says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is great, is a great God, and a king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. So this is, we know that David wrote this because of Hebrews 4. So he wrote it far after um, the Israelites were wandering and were going from Egypt to the desert. And if you remember what happened, some spies went in and they saw that the land was good, first of all, but also the giants. And they came back and they were afraid and they said, "We, we can't do this. We can't take the land, even though God told them that they could. And that he, he would do it for them. And so they, they didn't do it. And so this is what the psalmist is talking about. This is what David's talking about. They hardened their hearts towards God. They didn't believe what he said. But David's coming back hundreds of years later. right? He's, he's king. And he's saying, don't harden your hearts like they did. Don't harden your hearts towards God. Um, because if you do, you won't enter God's rest just like they didn't enter rest in the promised land going into the promised land and so don't harden your hearts towards God don't you know if you do that then you don't believe God instead believe what God says open your heart to God believe what he says and enter into his rest and so this has this has bearing for us as believers as we'll see in Hebrews 4 and we'll probably get there next week um, so that's, well, we should have finished last week, but we didn't have time. Um, and so now we're going to move into the New Testament. So we've, we're have we finished with the Old Testament. We've we've surveyed all the uh, verses with the word rest in it, verses that had concepts that related to rest, like the Sabbath. And we, we have an idea of what, what the Old Testament says about it. And so now we move into the New Testament. Um, and, you know, we've talked about some of the interpretation um difficulties maybe of the old testament as far as it's it's not written directly to us for example it was it was written to the israelites and just being careful with how we interpret verses and not necessarily taking a command for that was given to them and just saying well that's for for everybody for all time we can't do things like that um we we still have that issue beginning in the new testament Um, because the Gospels, again, they're a narrative, just like a lot of the the historical books in the Old Testament are. But we need to remember who Jesus was talking to for the most part. Most of the time, he's talking to the Jews, right? He came to the Jews, it says that in John 1. He came to his people, uh, his people rejected him, but that's who he came to. So he was speaking to them most of the time. So we just need to consider that as we go through this and, and think about what these things mean. So the first, um, so we're just going to break this down into the two categories, rest from suffering and rest from work. And so first we'll talk about rest from suffering. And so the first instance of the word rest in the New Testament is in Matthew 11. You can turn there. And we'll see that in Matthew 11, Jesus offered rest to those who would come to him. They could find rest after coming to Jesus, after coming to Jesus. That's our first point. So Matthew 11, we'll start in verse 20. It says, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I will praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight." All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." So Jesus is talking to the Jews here and he he goes through this section before he says, come to me, and he talks about uh, these cities who Jesus went to and they didn't repent. And so that's that's the immediate context of this when he when he starts inviting them to come to him. Basically, he's saying that he wants them to repent and come to him. These other cities didn't and, and what they had because of that because they did not repent was judgment they had judgment so the first thing that they can have rest from is judgment rest from judgment Um, but the larger context of of jesus and his dealings with the jews involve rest from the heavy burdens put in front of the jews by the pharisees so that's definitely in view here too Um, the the heavy ladenness the burden jesus compares his burden which is light the burden that the pharisees put in front of the jews which is heavy so there's all these extra rules that they have to follow this legalism and if they they follow that that will get them to god but jesus is saying no just come to me i'm the person that can give you rest not all these rules that you follow that are made up instead take jesus's yoke his burden is light not like the pharisees he's gentle and humble in heart again not like the pharisees he will give you rest if you think about it what what does legalism do it's it's you're working for yourself to be right with God to be at peace with God to be reconciled to him you're trying to do it all yourself you're trying to work for it but with Christ he did the work for you right he went to the cross he paid the price for your sins so you don't have to he's the one through which upon our faith in him we are forgiven of our sins and have eternal life so Jesus says come to me I'm the one who will give you rest a burden is light. So we're believers here. So what? How have you experienced this rest after conversion? How, how have you found rest for your soul after being a believer? Considering these things that we just talked about—judgment and legalism and those things—Bridget. so understanding that Christ it's Christ's work that our salvation is based on not not our own yeah that's definitely comforting what else Yeah, so Christ, or God sees us through Christ, right? He sees Christ's righteousness, and um, that's a wonderful thing, lots of comfort. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, And the times when we're told to hope, to hope in our future, hope in that eternal life, that's something that we have to think about, right? What's that eternal life going to be like? What's going to be rest from suffering? It's going to be rest from judgment. The wrath of God isn't for us as believers because um, Christ took it, right? So we have rest from that. Stephen? Yeah, and it should be like that for all believers, right? Because uh, like in my experience, typically there's like the there's some sins that bring you to the point of understanding that you need repentance, right? There's this, you might call them big sins or or whatever. You you just realize that um, you're in need of a savior because of your sin. And so um, after the initial conversion and you understand that Christ is the one that that covers that that forgives you of that but also you you take with greater importance is called to be holy right and and you, you as you grow more and more as a believer you understand more and more how how sinful you can be and how hard it is to fight the flesh um, but like you said the hope of that future rests from that as well right being perfect being glorified Having glorified bodies to go along with our spirits um, is a huge comfort. Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, principles that you can apply through the Proverbs to our lives as far as in general. Um, If you're following God, then you have some amount of comfort and rest. Um, But yeah, you're right. The the fighting sin that we do is work. It's hard work. It's not typically the type of work that um, we've been going over so far. right? It's not vocational work, for example. Um, But it's definitely suffering. Um, and so, as as you become sanctified, some of that will go away. As you um, become more holy. But ultimately, we're still waiting for that that final rest where, where we're glorified. Yep. Okay. Um, so the next thing that we see here, as far as rest from suffering, is that. Uh, we can get rest from physical weariness. So in Mark six, we see that. And Mark six thirty one says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while, rest a while, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. So there's Jesus talking to his disciples, and his disciples had just gotten back from their, like a missionary journey he sent them on. He told them to go preach that men should repent. They cast out demons, they healed people, and on top of that, they had just learned that John the Baptist was beheaded and had gone to get his body, and so, and so then they get back to Jesus, and um, I think that there's there's a a few reasons for this rest that Jesus offers them Um, it says in verse 31 that um, many people were coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat so it was a very busy time they were they were weary from their travels Um, they got back and there were people everywhere and they just didn't even have enough time to eat so there's that but then there's also the that John the Baptist had just died just been beheaded so there would have been some weariness from that uh, so, some suffering from that. Um, the travel weariness as well. But one of the fascinating things that I find of, about this is just Jesus' care for them, right? So, so, they get to him, and there's all these people that want their attention. Um, they've probably been following them, seeing them healing people, and they're just following them. And we continue, continue to see that in verse 33. Um, but Jesus saw their weariness, and he really he told them to do three things. So, he said, Come away. So leave where you're at um, and come to this other place. So he wanted them to go across the water, and, and Jesus was going to go with them. Uh, he wanted them to be by, by yourselves, by themselves. So don't bring anyone with you, just the disciples. Uh, you n- need some time without the, cr- the crowds, without all these people. You need time to be able to eat. And then also, he says, to a secluded place. So really a hiding place, a place where no one else can find you, a place where you truly can rest, find a time for rest, a place where they couldn't be disturbed. It does sound like this might not have lasted for very long because the people saw where they were going and they followed them and eventually uh, caught up. But this is just an uh, astounding and comforting thing to see Jesus care for his disciples like this. Um, and it's hard to miss that, that Jesus is the one who, who told them to do it. He's the one that actually said, take this rest. Um, but he is the ultimate comforter, right? We know in 2 Corinthians 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Um, so a third way that we see rest from suffering in the New Testament is from troubles from troubles so in Paul's life we see this and that God provides rest through uh, the company of other believers as well as hearing news and seeing the repentance of people um, whether for the first time and or whether for example we'll get into this the Corinthian church who repented of sin and so, Paul describes his suffering um, in 2 Corinthians, both from a persecution standpoint, so him getting persecuted by people, as well as even trouble in the church in Corinth, and even internal struggles, fear, within him. He describes all these ways of suffering. And so, just a quick uh, history. So remember, he, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians uh, to the church in Corinth, and he, con- he confronted many of their sins. It sounds like not a whole lot changed, so he sent, eventually sent a second letter, and uh, he describes this letter in Second Corinthians 2. Sometimes people call it the tearful letter or severe letter. Uh, we don't have a record of it, but it's, it sounds like he was r- urging them very strongly, with strong language, to turn from these particular sins. And so we jump in in 2 Corinthians, and at the beginning, he's, he's in between having sent that letter and waiting to hear what happened, how the Corinthians responded to that letter. And so there's some, some tension there. And so we're going kind to of, kind, of, kind of step through in 2 Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians 1.8, it just gives a general idea of the, the suffering that Paul's been going through. So he he tells the Corinthians, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us you also joining and helping us through our prayer so that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So this is fascinating, especially verse 9, because he, he says we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. So there's this idea that God's bringing this to them so that they, they couldn't trust in themselves, they had to call out to God, but also just that it was so severe he couldn't trust in himself. Like he, he realized he was at the situation where there's nothing he can do to save his life. He had to rely on God. And the way he puts it, God's power, right? Why can he trust in God? Well, he's God who raises the dead. This is the power of God and why Paul can trust him. So that describes some of the affliction that he's going to going through. And now in 2 Corinthians 2:12, 2, we see how he felt waiting to hear back from Titus, about what the Corinthians, how they responded to his letter, it says, "Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them and went on to Macedonia." So he he's wanting rest. He's wanting to be able to cease from the the weary, the the suffering, the anxiety, the worry that the Corinthians wouldn't wouldn't heed his letter, and then both. Hate Paul, and and become enemies of God, become apostates. So, and so these are the things that he's worried about. These are the things he doesn't want to hear. But he hasn't heard anything yet, so he's anxious. But we do see in Second Corinthians seven that he does finally hear from Titus. And so it says in Second Corinthians seven five, for even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. So this idea here that his enemies are against him, he's being persecuted, all these difficulties. um, But also there's fear within, he's afraid. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. So this is just like if we just look and see what this says. um, Who comforted him? God did, right? But how did God comfort him? He sent Titus to Paul. And then in verse 7, it says, And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is that severe letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. And now I rejoice, not that you are made sorrowful, but that you are made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So he was comforted. God comforted Paul in two ways. By sending Titus to him. We see that in verse 7. And by news of the Corinthian response to his letter. Um, And there's really two responses that you can see. One, their longing, mourning, and zeal for Paul. So their relationship with Paul was good. It was restored. Whatever they had against Paul... Um, They love him again now. Uh, They saw that he was right and they were wrong. And you see that in in verse 7 and 8. They realized their sin and they had repentance, sorrow that led to repentance in verse 8. And so this is the result Paul wanted. But before he got that result, he was suffering. He was suffering because he didn't know, because he was worried that they wouldn't have the right response. He was suffering because of enemies around him and affliction and those things. But God comforted him. God gave him rest by both bringing believers with, to him, Titus, and then also news, good news of people repenting of their sin. Both things that gave him rest. We also see this in Romans 15. This is at the end of the letter, and Paul wants to go see the Romans. And he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company." So he wants to be with the Romans, he wants to have rest with them, refreshing rest with other believers. We should do that too. So how have you found rest in fellow believers? Either through their company or news of repentance of, uh, of of friends of people in our church of family members, how have you experienced this? Do you how have you had rest in the company of believers and their repentance, Stephen? Yeah, I totally agree. Here, reading testimonies are are wonderful. It's it's we praise God through them, right? And we we see His work. We see people coming to Him, people being sorrowful over their sin and repenting. Yeah, yeah, you see God's work in other people's lives, and that you were able to take part in it too. Yeah. Great. <clears throat> what else? How do you get rest through other believers being with them? Greg? That's true. <clears throat> One thing that um, gives me rest and comfort is when I see uh, people serve in a way that they're a little trepidatious about, like they're they're not sure, but they want to serve. They're nervous, but they want to serve, so they do it anyway. Um, that's a wonderful thing, right? And that's super encouraging to see believers do that. Yeah, and like Craig said, just just do what believers should do. Bridget. definitely true other believers in there that are care for you in times of grief yeah Yeah, definitely they're they're basically publicly proclaiming their repentance right there the sorrow that led to repentance and we get to see that and praise God for that yeah okay so our um, fourth example of rest from suffering in the New Testament is patience in waiting for God's judgment on enemies so this is in Revelation 6 Revelation 6, verse 9, we'll read. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also so these are the martyrs killed during the tribulation and they they look down and see that god still hasn't judged those who are are killing them they still he still hasn't judged their enemies and they say when how long when are you going to do this lord they're ready for god to accomplish his his role as judge um, they knew that it was coming. They just wanted it to come now. Um, so, but God didn't grant them the request right then. Instead, he, he, he did two things. He, first, he gave them robes, white robes. And really, this is signifying their holiness, their purity. It's a reward for the testimony that they had maintained, as mentioned in verse 9, that they maintained through their life, right? They, they persevered to the end. So he gave them these white robes to signify that. But then he also told them to rest for a little while longer, to wait, to have patience. The idea here would be that they should trust God and that he will take care of it in his time. Uh, this is an idea that's not foreign to us. We saw this in Psalm 37 when we were studying through the Psalms uh, for rest. And it's the same thing. The, the psalmist is wanting God, God to judge his enemies. Um, but God says um, to wait, to wait for the Lord, and so that's the idea here. So we should trust that God's timing is perfect, um, no matter our enemies, how much they cause us suffering. Um, we shouldn't take vengeance on our uh, by ourselves. We shouldn't be the ones to take it, right? We know that God's the one who does that, and so we should we should rest, we should wait on Him to do it in His timing. Okay, so that's um, the end of rest from suffering that we see in the New Testament. I don't think I'm going to start the next section, um, rest from work until next week. So we'll start on that then. But just to give you a preview, um, we'll spend a lot of time in the Gospels and Jesus's um, conversations to the Pharisees most of the time about the Sabbath, um, because there's a lot there. And Jesus says a lot of um, really interesting things. There's been a lot of, um, I, you know, I've heard people say Jesus broke the Sabbath. And there's just a lot of strange views, too, about the things that he said. So we'll go, we'll go through that. And it, it really it helps you understand better the intent of the Sabbath. And I think there's principles there that we can take as well. Um, but we've got a few minutes. Are there any, any questions about what we went over today? Or comments, or about earlier weeks. <laughs> okay, oh, even. So. I I think it would definitely be unwise at this point, I want to I want to be comfortable saying it's a sin, but it'd be very unwise. And I would expect other Christians to give wisdom or counsel to that person that they need to rest. But there's also, you know, if that's um, if that's like one week. If it's two weeks, you know, if it's a small stint in their life, that's different versus if this is their pattern, this is just what they do all the time. That's some things to consider there. Um, Yeah, so I definitely say it's unwise, knowing that that rest is good and we need it, and that God wants us to take it. Um, But I wouldn't call it a sin. But okay, so let's think about. what things are you not doing because you're not resting? So is that all that time taking up with your vocational work? And is there a pride wrapped up in that? A desire for reputation, power, all that stuff. So if that's the reason why you're working, then yes, that's a sin. If, you're, if that's the reason why you're working like that, right, then that's a sin. Um, also, are there, are there things you're neglecting because you're working? Like are you a husband and you should be... Um, a a loving husband are you a father and you should be um, caring for your children Um, are you a church member and you should be serving in the church and you're not those would all be sins if you're not doing those things um and there might be some relation too with not having any rest impacting those things negatively even if you are doing them in some extent um so I think that there, you know, if your if your brain is always on, if you're always thinking about things, and the, uh, Solomon talked about this in Ecclesiastes, um, it's hard to even sleep at night because your brain's just racing; it's constantly going, and that can be that can be detrimental to other things. So, like for example, um, when you sit, like if you're if you're teaching and you sit down throughout the week to study. Like you, you can't be thinking about all the other things that you need to do. Like you need to be focused on the task, right? And we have lots of tasks like that. Um, but when they, when they involve the church, these things that God has commanded us to do, we need to give it our full attention and kind of be do it to the best of our ability. So if the lack of rest is impacting those in a detrimental way, then that would be another thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's a good question. So rest and sleep are different, right? So when God tells the Israelites to rest for a whole day, He doesn't mean go sleep for a whole day. Um, so rest and sleep are different. Um, we we know that we need sleep. Um, we need sleep. You know, just the the. You've probably experienced it in your own life when you don't get enough sleep and how you feel and how you, it's hard to function. So we just know experientially, first of all, that we need sleep, um, and and it is a you know we might call it a type of rest. But again, different people can function on a different amount of that, right? Different amount of sleep. So there's there's wisdom there as well, right? How much sleep to get. It's all about the wisdom. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll close this in prayer and we can keep talking next week. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, the things that you've told us and the the ways that you have uh, described who you are, um, the way that Jesus uh, communicated your nature, his nature, and the things that he um, desired his people to do. And I pray that as we go through all this, that you would give us insight and wisdom to to understand how it applies to us. Um, Help us to to do that. Help us to do it well, because we need your help. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.